All right, let's uh, get into our guests. Firstly, uh, uh, Dr. Kimberly Earl. Hello, Kimberly. Welcome along. Thank you for having me. Yes, you're ready to answer the questions? Absolutely. I know you'll be wanting to talk about a particular animal, which we don't do a lot of today. Yeah, I thought I might talk about basic guinea pig and rabbit care. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) And and our behaviourist has decided to rock up as well. Mm. Julie Tolday, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, you want to talk about a little bit later puppy schools. Yes, I think it's an important First step for all canines. Pet shout us how we do things on a Wednesday afternoon. Our behaviourist, Julia Tolliday, is in. She'll be actually marking uh, Dr. Kimberly or our behaviour as well. So if we're not up to scratch, Julie will leave a bad review for Excellent. us somewhere. <laughs> Good afternoon, Jenny. Good afternoon, Jenny at Dunce Creek. Um, joint supplements for dogs is your question. What's happening? Yeah, well, I give my dogs a regular joint supplement now. Um, I won't mention the brand, um, but... I've been told that I can also give fish oil. Uh, Yeah, so I assume you have a dog that's an older arthritic dog or has some sort of a joint ailment. Um, No. (laughs) No. No, I I do dog agility, so that's why they're on a a supplement. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, joint supplements for dogs is... um, it's an interesting thing because not all supplements are equal. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are not worth the containers that you're putting them in. Um, some mm-hmm. of them are really good. The trouble we have is that um, it's it's an industry that's really, really unregulated because they're not technically pharmaceuticals. Um, just about anybody can put just about anything in a container and call it a joint supplement. Um and off you go. Um, and you don't know from batch to batch whether you're getting the same sorts of ingredients, things like that. So the things that I would always tell you to do is to probably have a conversation with your veterinarian about which ones they uh-huh. would recommend because they're going to know which ones are the higher quality. I'm personally uh-huh. not a big fan of joint supplements that have a lot of things like shark cartilage and that kind of stuff in them because um, I think there's a lot of welfare issues um, and, and environmental issues with them. But we have some really good ones in Australia that are um, nearly locally, like sort of New Zealand-based, things like that, that have actually got some really good research behind them that will um, show that they do well what they say they're going to do and that they can give you quality control information that, you know, proves that, that what you're getting from bottle to bottle or, or container to container is the same. Um, the other thing I think is that, um, you're not ever going to do any harm with joint supplements, but there's not a lot of good evidence that, um, that they work in a prophylactic manner. If you have a dog that has totally normal joints, that's not experiencing a lot of inflammation, they're probably not going to do a lot. Having said that, if you're doing a lot of agility, you might not know from day to day if your dog has a very minor strain. And so it's not going to hurt. Um, fish oils is a little bit, um, tricky as well. So we absolutely know that fish oils can have really, really high levels of antioxidants, but uh, they say that to get an effective dose into a dog, the amount of fish oils that you have to feed them puts them at risk of other things like obesity and pancreatitis and things like that. And so if you're looking um, to use fish oils, they say the safest and, and most effective way to do that is to actually be feeding your dog a mobility diet. Um, you know, there's some good uh, prescription level diets on the market that will have those things built into them. And they've done it in such a way that the concentration is actually effective without causing any dramas to your dogs. And you can feed those dogs, uh, you can feed a normal, young, healthy dog, um, provided they're not a growing puppy, but you can feed them any of the sort of really high quality, um, you know, mobility diets as well and be pretty confident that they're going to get those things there. So, you mean, again, you're not going to hurt your dog to give it a fish oil capsule 
capsule, but it's probably not going to be effective if you're just giving it, you know, one or two 500 milligram fish oil capsules. Um, and you do need to be a bit careful about weight gain. We certainly see dogs, you know, owners who are giving no, their... No, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you want your dogs to be fit and healthy and things like that. Yep. Um, but, yep. you know, it, it's oh. it's unlikely to hurt um, and it may do some good, um, you know, so I think just have a chat with your, just your vet and see what their yep. preferred products are. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. All right. Best of luck with all of that, Jenny. Now, since we've got you here, Julie, um, look, we, you wanted to mention puppy school, so let's let's get into that conversation. Let's look, do it. Look, they're a bit of. Many would say they're a bit of a gimmick, right? I think yes, definitely. People do. People who think that puppy school is a forum for taking your puppies and letting them all rumble on the floor together. Mm. Yeah, that's a gimmick, and it's also not productive at all. So, mm-hmm. uh, going down the right pathway for the right sort of puppy school that has behavioural work in it is definitely the way to go. So how do we, we uh, differentiate a school that might be like just let's just come and have a bit of a play around versus someone that's, you know, not going to just do that? Well, I suppose you could be right up front and say to the vet clinic or the place running it, could you mm. tell me what's in the program? Okay, good idea. Uh, and then maybe you might ask without sounding like you're being too pushy, um, so what's the qualification of the person running the mm-hmm. class, what's, okay. what's so, their experience? So you get yeah. a bit of a knowledge base around yeah. that to start with. Yeah. What about with um, with dogs and, and vaccinations? They might not be up to date yet and all of that. Is that sort of a factor? Yeah, look, it's an ongoing misunderstanding by the public that many of them think, oh, I can't bring my puppy until it's fully vaccinated because the vet said, I think that what the vet has said is don't take your dog out into public places where you don't know the history of the ground that they're on. But a puppy school, particularly run in a vet clinic, is going to be in a clean environment. And as long as an eight-week-old puppy can go with one vaccination and be with the other puppies who might be 12 weeks old and have had two, but we just say as long as they're up to date, Mm -hmm. if we wait for that third vaccination, they're too old for puppy school. You've missed that socialisation window. (laughs) Then you've really got to try and rein it in working back to front there. Absolutely. Um, I suppose then a lot of folks may go, well, you know what, my dog can, can sit and it can shake hands and do those very bog standard things that maybe you I've trained my little dog to do at home. So why do I need the whole puppy school experience? Yes, yeah, so we like to say to people, look, obedience can actually be taught at any stage. Sit, drop, shake hands, any of those, they can be taught at any age. You can teach a puppy at eight weeks to sit and drop and do things like that. You can teach a, a dog at eight years to do mm-hmm. that. But what you can't recapture is the socialisation window that happens for puppies between eight weeks and 18 weeks of age. That's the time with at which we want to capture them and teach them to be a sound puppy that's going to cope with the adult world. So it's absolutely been proven that puppies that are under-socialised, that don't have the right level of gentle, positive exposure to new things in the world, will develop will develop behavioural problems and that's very evident in all those puppies that were kept locked in houses during the pandemic. Yeah, it's a fair point. Well, but what about like if there's, say, a couple of other dogs at home, they're socialising with their fam- dogs in your family, their pack, I suppose. Aren't they getting enough that way? Well, I've got a great statistic here. So in more than one reference that I ha- have, they say that before they're 18 weeks of age, they mm. need to have been exposed to at least 50, up to 150 
dogs mm. before they're 18 weeks of age, which makes people go, oh, my God, like, how do you do that? <laughs> that well, you put your under-vaccinated mm. puppy in a car which is your safe bubble, and you drive them places and you put the windows down and you let them smell and see and and whatever and and intervene with them, probably with food um, desensitisation markers uh, so that they can have seen those dogs. They don't have to play with 150 dogs. Mm. They need to have gone, oh, that's one over there and that's one over there and that's one oh, they're everywhere. But honestly, those dogs that have just known two dogs at home and don't go to puppy school, Mm. they come outside their property and they go, you didn't tell Tell me there was this many out here outside the fence. <laughs> it's a bit like people in reverse. After a while we think, oh, I don't want all these people. Can I go back to just the two or three? But at least we know they're there. These we poor puppies don't know that they're, they're there. They're a bit clueless. <laughs> They've only had you and a couple of dogs at home. That yes. becomes the whole world, doesn't it, really? Well, it does. and we If so, you let it. Yeah, we want the, the puppies to know that they're sound and safe beyond the fence mm. with anything. Other animals, with people, with objects in the environment, with anything out there. Now, what if we've been to the puppy school with, say, our other dog? What happens now? And that's and that's <laughs> so related to the question before. Mm. Oh, we came to puppy school last time and I always feel like I've failed if they came to my first puppy <laughs> school and they get another puppy and they go, no, we've already done it. And I want to say it wasn't for you. Yeah. It was for the puppy. <laughs> yeah. It was for the puppy because we're going to set the room up with other puppies and other people and people that look different and smell different and sound different, but it's a controlled environment in the clinic. We're going to bring in things that look weird and sound weird and we're going to show you how to gently and positively desensitise your puppy. You're not going to do that with your puppy at home. You don't even, if I can be cheeky enough, Mm. you don't even know how to do it. Mm. That's why you come to us and get it in this controlled Professional way, I guess I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've learned a little bit about uh, puppy schools and the 150 dogs they need to be familiar with. It's, it's a lot, and just thinking about you know not only just dogs but other animals. Yeah. You know, have they seen have they seen what a horse looks like? If you drive mm. by a horse in the country, does your puppy know what a horse looks like? <laughs> um, are they scared of them? Are they going to be because the, the big world is huge for these little tiny puppies, and if they're not getting exposed at this period where their brain is open to new things, then you take them out when they are older and they've never seen a horse or they've never seen a man in a hat, they've never seen a pram or they've never heard a motorbike go by, um, all of a sudden they become traumatised. They literally will be traumatised by the things going on around them if you haven't given them this wide range of exposure when they're little. It's really, really important. Let alone fireworks. Yeah, (laughs) our little um, uh, Maltese... No, he's not a Maltese, what am I talking about? He's a Groodle and you've Mm. met Charlie. Mm. And he started life in a not very um, suitable environment with somebody who was an alcoholic. And so he's still scared of new stuff because we didn't get him until five months. Mm. And one of the most scary things for him is a curbside cleanup. Mm. because he comes across this pile of stuff (laughs) and he goes, what the heck? That wasn't there yesterday. That is really spooky. So you you can't even guess how much might make a puppy scared. That's why this early work is so important. To be fair, though, most of us get scared by a curbside pickup. It's the people that come through (laughs) looking through the junk. Exactly They they scare the buggery out of me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Julie Tolliday is here, our behaviourist. And and Julie, uh, uh, as Dr Dr. Kim Leal myself, has our behaviour been okay today? We passing? Oh, well, you're achieving the milestones along the way. I'm keeping a record of them, but there's the final goal at the end that you need right. to Right. So in other, in other words, the bare bog standard, that's about it. Well, you've got half an hour. 
That's <laughs> <laughs> a go. Room for improvement, uh, Kimberly. Totally. Now, Room now, for bit, improvement. A bit later on, we'll be talking about uh, little tiny animals that really they're just pretend pets. They don't have much to look after, aren't they? Guinea- <laughs> That's the perception when you have little That's guinea pigs. That's the perception, except- isn't it? Yes. Perfect for kids, right? Mm-hmm. Except they're a little bit of harder work than you think. All right, we'll do that. Plus a dog and cat of the week, so we'll do that as well. 49216216 is the phone number to call if you'd like to have a chat with our Pet Chat team this afternoon. And, yeah, really looking forward to hearing a little bit more about uh, all of that. Uh, the cup. Look, so call coming through now. Good afternoon, Wayne. Uh, all Atari. glad to have you with us, Wayne. Uh, what's going on with the dog? Uh, is it your dog or another dog that's behaving? Yeah, no, it's our dog now. Uh, we weren't going to have any more dogs after the others died, but... Anyway, we rescued this one from a storage shed and uh, somebody felt that they needed to put a dog in a storage shed to keep a, make a guard dog out of it, but he was only about 15 months old at the time and he's a little Kelpie Labrador cross thing, beautiful nature, um, loves people. And But if, he, if we're in the car, he, we're going along the road, he sees a dog on a lead, he goes berserk. So, um, but if he's... He's in contact with other dogs. Other dogs come to our place or we go to their place. Um, they sniff each other and they're, they're great mates from, you know, word go. So I just can't figure out why when he sees another dog on a lead as we walk, you know, driving through somewhere, he, he gets up the window and barks and carries on. But he just, um, yeah, it's, it's a strange thing where his nature's really quiet with, with people and other dogs that he actually knows. So, Wayne, it's Julie here. Can I just ask you, if you're walking him on a lead and he sees another dog on the lead, how is he then? He um, he wants to go to them and he, he burrs up a little bit, like if we've taken him to the beach or something like that for a walk. Um, he'll burr up a little bit, but if he actually gets to sniff the dog, he's fine, but if he's not anywhere near it, he um, he just goes crazy, basically. So the first thing I say to people is when a dog's on a lead, particularly a dog that hasn't been widely socialised or if they've had a bad experience, the leash on all dogs, but particularly on these dogs, denies them uh, a flight response. They can't get away. Yeah. And I think even though you're in the car, the sight of those dogs is... Uh, strange to him. He's worried about it even though you're moving along in the car. So for the car one, it could be a good idea if you can find a place you could actually, you might be able to go to the outside of the of the dog park at Tuncurry if you can yep. park far enough away that he's not going to have a big reaction. Your ideal is that he will look at the dog, oh, except in the dog park the dogs are free. So you'd yep. need to try to go somewhere where you'll intermittently see dogs walking on leads and the sequence is you want your dog to look at the dog on the lead and then you want to drop a treat in front of him. I like to say, find it, so that he sees that dog but you intervene with something that's better value, which is putting your head down, which is a good way to avoid another dog, and picking up a treat off the ground. Now, if you could get him into that sequence, it would be great if you could have someone in the car, except you won't be able to measure the distance. You see, if you're driving in the car and the dog on the lead is only, like, parallel with your car at three metres, 
that could be over threshold. If you could think of somewhere that you could go and hang out in a car, not get arrested for loitering, but hang out in a car that you, you can see dogs going past on leads. He looks, you say, find it, and he drops his head to pick the treat up. The other thing I would say for when he sees other dogs on the lead, although when he gets to those dogs he's appropriate, the preceding behaviour is not appropriate and it may in fact put off the other dog on the lead. And I say to people, in the beginning, just practice saying to your dog, let's go and do a U-turn and do that U-turn in plenty of time, not when you're, you know, half a metre away. He sees another dog and you go, let's go, and you turn and walk the other way. So you learn to take that pressure off him. All right, best of luck. Uh, I know we lost uh, Wayne just a couple of moments there, oh. there but uh, best of luck with it all. Pet Chat is the name of the game for the next little bit. Our behaviourist, Julie Tolliday, is here, Dr Kimberly Earl as well. And good afternoon, Wayne at Maitland. Your cavoodle is uh, doing a lot of random weeing. That's the story, Wayne, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Um, just he'll randomly wee on anything. You can take yeah. him out and say, you know, go to the toilet, you know, do anything. But all of a sudden you'll find he's weed on something. Yeah. And it can be inside, outside, doesn't matter. And tell um, me, how how old is this dog? Uh, four. And he's a male entire or male desexed? Desexed male. Desex male. Yeah, and has he always done this, or is this a new behaviour that he's no, started? No, he's always done it. Basically. Yeah. Okay. That uh, he's not—he's not actually our dog. Um, he's basically with us now. He's, yeah. Um, he's, he's, his father was living with us for a while, and then he's moved. Okay. But hasn't got fences, and now he's got sure. a. Sure. So. Yeah. It sounds to me like so he's not a not a super old dog. He's always done this. I would yeah. always recommend that you get him checked out by a vet and make sure he doesn't have anything like bladder stones or urinary tract infection. But it sounds like it's likely to be a lack of training that this dog yeah. was probably not toilet trained um, really well as a young dog, um, and potentially he wasn't desexed as a um, a relatively young dog as well. We yeah, certainly find it was. was he. Yep. Yes, he was desexed. Young. At six he, also, months, yep. he, he also will randomly poo on things as well. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it definitely sounds like a, um, a, you know, a sort of a training issue. So mm. we would talk about treating him. You know, you, you can always treat a new, an old dog a new trick. Go back to treating him like a puppy where he doesn't get, particularly for the in-house behaviors, he doesn't get run of the house the way um, you know a, a normal adult dog does because he's not consistently toileting in an appropriate place. That means he's going to need to be um, confined to a small area where he can be supervised or on a leash, you know, tethered somewhere in, in sight of people for short periods of time. And he needs to be on a leash and taken out to the toilet on a frequent basis. And you need to be giving him a command. Um, yeah. Everybody in the house needs needs to decide on the same command and you just need to treat him for the next you know eight weeks um, like as if he were a puppy again um, with positive reinforcement so you take him out to the toilet when he gets up in the morning um, take him to the area of the yard you want him to toilet give him his command wait till he does his business reward him he's an excellent dog he's done it outside fantastic Um, but the point is we need to not let him practice making those mistakes so he needs to be taken out frequently enough that all of the uh, all of the toileting all of the elimination behaviors happen outside and it will retrain his brain he will develop a preference for being out on the grass or out on the gravel or wherever it is you want him to go but it's really about consistency it's about putting in some hard yards 
you know, now in the short term for those longer term yep. gains. Um, and remember, we don't punish dogs for toileting behavior, okay? Um, even though, you know, people will, will tell me all the time, oh, he knew he did it and it was bad. What he knew was that something about what's just happened or something about, you know, the smell in the house at this time, it, he knows that that's going to elicit an anger response or a, a negative response from you. But he doesn't have the association with the fact that I've just dropped a load on the kitchen floor with the fact that that's what's going to. All he knows is that his body told him he had to go and that's where he went. Um, but he doesn't know that that's the thing that's going to make you upset. So it's really about trying to prevent him from making those accidents in the places that we don't want him to do it and giving him all the opportunities he needs to make sure that it happens, that he's successful by doing it outside. And make it worth his while outside. Yeah. Like give yeah. him... Give him Blue vein cheese. No, I'm joking about that. But give him something yeah. so delicious he can't wait to get out on the grass and do another one for mm. you. All right, best yeah. of luck, Wayne. Again, the overarching thing there, ladies, is don't punish the bad toileting behaviour. Yeah. We save that for punishing the bad husbands who don't put the toilet seat back in the right spot. That's they get the right. punishment. They get the punishment. That's right, yeah. <laughs> All right, Steve at Brightwaters. Your Jack Russell uh, a little bit stressed when the TV's on, Steve. Yeah, hi, how are you going? Yeah, um, yeah look, I've got a, um, a little Jack Russell. Um, uh, she's 12 years old now, but for the last... Um, she was actually acquired from my... Uh, or inherited um, uh, from my, my parents. Um, we've had it probably five, six years now. If we're trying to watch the television, uh, watch the football or, mm-hmm. or any of those sort of um, shows on TV where there's a lot of crowd cheering, mm-hmm. live live game or something like that, yep. she gets really stressed. So okay. she, she puffs and pants and she wants to get up on your lap and she can't sit um, sit still. She um, she just she's just really stressed. Yeah, and so it's not, unrelated to seeing other dogs or anything on the television? No, not, nothing to do with, you know, yep. she loves other, she interacts really well with other dogs, um, yep. although we, okay. we do find sometimes in a... Um, you know, we do a bit of caravanning and she's always with us. Um, you know, if, if a dog walk, walks past our caravan site, she wants to, to chase them, yeah. run out to them and rip their head off. Yeah. Um, but, but most of the time she's she's very good. It's it's purely when you get that loud um, crowd cheering noise. Mm. Okay. So when I want to watch the State of Origin, I've sort of got to watch it on, on volume one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the, the easy thing to, to think about is just not to have her around in those sort of situations. Now, we don't want to yeah. stress her out unduly by locking her in the back, you know, in the back bedroom if she's never, never had that experience. We need to to put her somewhere she feels safe. But obviously, something in her past is that that's triggering for her. That loud noise of the crowd of that there's there'll yeah. be something in that sound that is um, causing her to become distressed. Um, yep. And so we need to distract her, you know, sort of away from. This. So we need to give her a safe space to be you know a a place where she's got a bed and she feels comfortable and we haven't just locked her away so she feels like she's been abandoned um but you know the the thing to do is to say okay let's where are we going to put her where are we going to um teach her to be happy um outside of you know the night of state of origin it has to start uh, you know a little bit you've got a few weeks now before the next one um to get her used to it um and then give her something that's better um give her something that's better to think about. So, you know, a little treat or, or put her food. I mean, she's a little bit of an older dog, but put her food into a, um, an activity ball so that dinner might get a little bit delayed. And instead of having dinner at five o'clock that night, she's going to get a dinner at eight o'clock in the back room where she's happy and she's going to play with her food toy and enjoy that. And then hopefully she'll drop off to sleep because that was lots of 
fun and hard work and you can be in the front room and watching the television um, and you may need to do some you know pheromone therapy and things like that as well um, you can I mean, you absolutely can desensitize her to that, but it, that, that's a process that's going to take a long, you know, a long time to sort of get her on low volumes, um, get her to to start to associate those sorts of noises with a positive, you know, food reward so that she sort of goes, ooh, people clapping, people cheering, I'm going to enjoy that. But that's going to be a long process. A so. licky mat yeah. would be a, a good licky idea. Mat. A licky mm. mat that's spread with her dinner or spread with yogurt or a pouch of baby food is really good. Mm. And you could even have recorded some cheering and carrying on but have it on really low mm-hmm. not at the right television time but just have a really low recording and let her lick a licky mat while that low volume is starting mm. to become part of her self-soothing with licking a licky mat mm. yeah all right best of luck with all of that we'll squeeze through a couple more g'day dennis at Tanambit. um you're also wanting to talk about uh, dogs peeing everywhere Yes, correct. Just a bit of a follow-up from what Wayne was talking about. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I've got a Kelpie cross that was a rescue pet. Had her yep. for about 12 months now. So when we go out in public, especially like a dog park, she's de-sexed, but she just randomly pees on everything and anything. Yep. So this, this is probably pretty normal. It's a female dog, is it? Correct. Yeah. So it's, it's probably fairly normal urine marking behavior, particularly you're going to areas where there's lots of different dog smells. She's really just le- leaving a calling card to sort of say, oh, yep, yeah, okay, I can see that dog A, B, C, and D were here, and I'm dog F, and I'd just like to let them know that I'm around too. And if you're going to an area... Um, repeatedly, I mean, lots of people have their local dog park that they go to. Um, they're really just sort of catching up with their buddies going, oh, yeah, look, I remember you. You know, I've been here. You know, we've we've met, you know, from a distance. But she's, she's really just sort of letting the other dogs know um, that that's what she's doing. Now, a lot of, I mean, that just dog behavior, most people associate with male dogs where they lift their leg on the letter post, they lift their leg on the mailbox, the rubbish bin, whatever. Female dogs absolutely will do it as well. Um, they just tend to sort of, you, you watch them, they sort of walk over top, they have a sniff, and then they take two more steps and squat over top. It is still just a urine marking behavior. The only thing that I would say is that female dogs are more likely to develop urinary tract infections than male dogs are. And so if this is a new behavior out of character for your dog, and instead of taking you know two to three wheeze on a walk, um, your dog is now taking five to six wheeze on a walk, that sort of thing, then that's that definitely warrants um, a urine sample into your vet- veterinarian to make sure that we haven't got an occult urinary tract infection. Um, but we certainly will see some female dogs are just much more um, interested in marking their own territory um, than other dogs are. So, you know, it's, it's potentially totally normal. Um, but if it's a new behavior, if it's recently come up, definitely worthwhile checking it out with your vet. All right, best of luck, Dennis. Pet Chat today, Dr. Kimberly Earl is here, as is our behaviourist, Julie Tolliday, and I've tried very hard to say that a few times today. I don't reckon <laughs> I've messed it up, have I? Sounds Which pretty bit? good. The behaviourist. Yeah. Have I, I don't that? think it's behavioralist. I think it's behaviourist. Shut I up, Julie. Th- no one asked you. <laughs> <laughs> dog and cat of the week. We've got about a minute and a half we can give to each, so we'll do the dog first. I reckon Luna, the six-year-old cattle dog six cross. Week. Six, six week. Six week. What this did is, I say? This is six six years. Year. Oh, this is a proper blast. puppy. The proper you puppy just dog. Lost 10 points. No. <laughs> now, this little dude, he's not going to last more than five seconds. No. she's Well, she's going to be a medium to large-sized dog, mm. so 
it's only going to fit people's lifestyle if they have a backyard and lots of time. The The difficulty with this little cutie is that um, she's been without her mom from a good long, you know, early age. Mm. So those dogs will have reduced socialization coming to you. And so socialization is key. This is not the dog for people who are working a lot away from mm-hmm. home, who are doing a nine to six sort of job because this puppy is going to need a lot of work. But she's super cute. She's not ruined yet. I mean, that's the nice thing about getting a new puppy is that they're typically not ruined um, right from the word go. Um, and if you are looking for, a, you know, a medium to large size dog, you've got lots of time for a puppy. She's beautiful. What did they say they think she is cross? She's a, she's a white dog with beautiful little matching eye patches, little black eye patches. Um, so she's really charismatic sort of looking. And it sounds like she's been with some um, children and some other dogs at the moment. So they're off to a really good start trying to get her socialized. Um, but she's going to need lots of time. Yeah, perfect. And again, and uh, Julie, because brand new dog, you could start from day one and you can really get that training in and all the stuff that you talked about earlier. Absolutely. Yep. Last up, we move to our cat of the week. Babe uh, is the name of the uh, the cat there. And this is the sort of the type of, this is the sort of cat I like. What loves the one-on-one attention pat for hours and loves a bit of a snuggle as well. She's lovely looking. She's kind of matching of the puppy. She's white <laughs> you take one with of some dark each. tabby patches on the top. Um, and what does it say? She's a lap cat. She, you know, enjoys sitting with people watching television, which is excellent. Um, plays well with other cats in foster care at the moment. Um, remember that uh, adding cats to mm. your house, adding a new cat to an existing cat is not always as easy as you think. So um, be careful about that. Um, addicted to a little toy mouse that she likes to squeak and play with. So that's really Looks good Looks like you're well. taking that home as well. And it sounds <laughs> like it says, she says, dogs don't bother me, but I haven't wet, met one nose to nose yet. So that might be an opportunity if you um, have a calm dog, that this might be a cat who might fit into that uh, multi-pet house. So. All right, I'm, I'm sure both of these will go in five seconds. And, I hope so. You know, they, yeah, I they, hope so. Because they really look like they're really good ones. There's not a lot you have to do, mm. um, notwithstanding the training side of things. But like, yeah. there's not a lot of hard work there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, these guys are these guys are looking, you know, pretty good for mm. for homes. So. Mm. All right, you can check that out at the Pet Chat page. You can find the Dog and Cat of the Week at 2NURFM.com.au. Ladies, that's just about it for us for Pet Chat. That's so, us. As always, um, Dr. Kimberly Oil, thank you for coming in. Thank you. I'll see you next week. You will. And uh, Julie Tolle, thanks for coming in and uh, doing all the behaviour stuff with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>